From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Genesis 37, Vayeshev, Garments. In this week's portion of the Torah, attention begins to pass from Yaakov to his son Yosef. One of the things that Yosef is known for is the coat of many colors that his father gave him. Why should we remember a mere garment of a man who had so much? Actually, when we look, we find that garments played an important role in Yosef's life. The many-colored coat that his father gave him is portrayed as one of the sources of his brother's jealousy toward him. This jealousy led to his being sold into slavery. That very garment was stripped from him and used to fool his father into thinking his beloved son had been killed by wild beasts. When Yosef's master's wife falsely accused him of improper behavior, she grabbed his garment from him to use as proof of her claims. Because of this, Yosef was put in the dungeon. When Yosef was brought before Pharaoh, he was given different garments to show respect and to not appear in his prison clothes. When Pharaoh appointed him overseer of all of Egypt, he was given regal garments to identify him as the regent. Where else in the Bible do we find someone whose story is so laden with garments? Only Mordechai from the story of Esther. Garments can be used either to hide or to reveal. In Yosef's case, we see that garments were used to reveal. They pointed him out. The coat of many colors showed that he was the son whom his father loved so dearly. When the coat was brought to Yaakov, torn and bloodstained, it was used to mistakenly identify Yosef as having been killed by wild animals. His master's wife used his garment to identify Yosef as the one she accused. Prison garments identify the person as a prisoner. Regal garments are used to identify the one wearing them as a ruler. On Purim, we will discuss how Mordecai's story is filled with garments that were used to cover or to hide. But Yosef and Mordecai have more in common than just garments. They are the only ones in the entire Bible, entire Tanakh, who are called the righteous, Ha-Sadiq. Although certainly there were other righteous people in biblical history, only these two men have that title. Yosef is known as Yosef HaSadik, and Mordechai is known as Mordechai HaSadik. What did these two men have in common? That they were both called righteous. They both rose from exile to greatness and leadership. More importantly, both of them are credited with having saved the Jews of their generation. Yosef saved his generation from famine, and Mordechai saved the Jews of his generation from Haman. We see from this that the important thing is what our deeds accomplish, and not if they identify or hide the one who did them. For the righteous, it is the deed that is essential, not who did it. Yosef suffers and the world sings. In this week's Torah portion, we find one of the life's most difficult lessons. If only we could master this one, life would be a joyful breeze. Yosef, the most beloved son of his father Yaakov, was taken by his brothers and thrown into a pit, a pit that was empty and had no water in it. What does the Torah mean that it was empty and had no water in it? That it was empty of water, but not of snakes and scorpions. 
This had to be the bottom of life for Yosef. He was about to be either killed or, as it turned out, sold into slavery to idol worshippers. But what was his sin that brought this about? Okay, so he told his dreams to those around him, dreams that prophesied his future greatness. Okay, so he was his father's beloved, as such, maybe he invoked his brother's jealousy, and maybe he even spoke badly about them to his father. But were these such great crimes? What great sin was there that caused this horrible evil to come upon him? Apparently there was none, yet the cruelty most certainly did come. For those of us who have peeked ahead, we know that Yosef's going down in Egypt was really the best thing that could possibly have happened under the circumstances. His going down and suffering as he did, being separated from his family, accosted by his master's wife, thrown into a dungeon, all this and more was all for the good. Certainly at the time of his terrible tribulations, he could not see that he was actually saving his family and much of the known world, but that was exactly what was going on. As we will see later, through Yosef will come the prophecy foretelling the plenty and the famine that will save much of the world. He will become the chancellor, the very assistant to the king himself, a man of great glory. But still, at the time he was lying in the empty pit, Yosef suffered while the world sang. This is the question. When we are being thrown down into life's struggles and pits, how can we remember that really these are God's doings? How can we see light when it is so very dark? We can recall Yosef and his troubles. We can remember that it is God who is doing everything, and that certainly he loves his children. So it must be that all of these troubles that come upon us are actually coming for the good. It is just that at those particular moments we cannot see this. Also, try to analyze the nature of the troubles. The particular trouble has come to straighten out a specific problem. That is why the troubles that come are also for the good. The cure will, in some way, have to match the problem. Then you can adjust your life accordingly. The foot will not be hit for something the hand did, or else that lesson could not teach us to straighten out the hand. This helps to explain why the story of Yehuda and Tamar is placed in the middle of Yosef's story. Tamar, Yehuda's widowed daughter-in-law, is apparently acting as a harlot. She covers her face and sits by the side of the road where she knows Yehuda will pass. She tempts him, and Yehuda, seemingly being led solely by his animal drive, lies with her. All this certainly seems to be a story of simple, lowly animal sin, but as it turns out, it too was for the good. From that union, Peretz, who fathered the line of King David and the Mashiach's dynasty, was born. Look at just a few of the similarities in these stories. Both Yosef and Yehuda were on their way to the flocks when their ordeals befell them. When Yosef went to look for his brothers, a, quote, man in the field told them where they would be found. When Yehuda went away from his brothers, he turned towards an Adulamit man. Tamar received the pledge from Yehuda. The items given were symbols of kingship. Kings were to descend from Yehuda, and the symbols of kingship are the king's signet, his outer garment, and his staff. 
These were the items Yehuda thought he was temporarily giving to Tamar as a guarantee that he would pay her. She thought that she was receiving them in order to identify the father of her future child. But God, the designer of all, was giving Yehuda symbols of kingship over to their child. When Yosef will later be appointed over Egypt, Pharaoh will give him the symbols of rulership. He will give him his ring, which is a signet, linen garments, and a gold chain for him to wear around his neck. These identified Yosef as the ruler. Regarding Yehuda's belongings that Tamar took as a pledge, she said, Identify, if you please, whose are these? Yaakov's sons said those very words to Yaakov when they showed him Yosef's blood-stained cloak. The Torah attributes pure motives to both Tamar, who tempted Yehuda, and Fotifah's wife, who tried to tempt Yosef. And the greatest similarity of all, both of these seemingly evil episodes were actually God-driven to bring about a greater good, a good that could not be seen by any of the participants at the time they were being played out. When Yosef was initially sent on his journey, the Torah says Israel sent him. Israel is Yaakov's spiritual name, so we see that Yosef was being sent for a higher purpose. The man Yosef met in the field, who directed him to the place where his brothers would be found, is said to have been the angel Gabriel. So we see that the entire episode was God-driven, even though in the short run it certainly looked evil. The lesson for us is that when anything happens in our life, know that God is sending it for a good reason. And then by looking at its particulars and our needs, try to figure out why that particular thing came. There is one.com.